Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio on WRCT 88.3 FM. Uh, left Out presents uh, the news and uh, news and views from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harper. I'm Danny Slater. Today's program is produced by, uh, oh, I forgot his name. Producer Hank. Producer Hank. I've forgotten our producer's name. Uh, as as usual, and uh, listeners are are invited to call us at four one two two six eight nine seven two eight. That's two six eight WRCT nine seven two eight eight nine seven two eight on campus. And you can also send electronic mail to Bob at leftout.info uh, to listen uh, to us during the show. A little bit later in today's program, we have on uh, Richard King, who's a lo- local uh, activist on uh, electronic voting and voting machines, and he'll be calling in around 6.15, and we'll uh, introduce him uh, re- introduce him then. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we'll have a few topics uh, to discuss in today's program. One is uh, related to voting machines, and this will help uh, set up Richard's uh, appearance in a little while. Um, uh, and uh, regular listeners to Left Out were, or were, will know, uh, know very well that we've often spoken about the issue of uh, electronic voting, uh, paperless voting, uh, voter verifiable paper paper trail, possible frauds in voting. This has been an issue that uh, we've uh, recurred uh, many times in the last three years and left out. And, uh, and here again, we'll be talking about it again today because recently the new uh, democratically controlled Congress is uh, introducing new bills today. There's our new bills, uh, not today, but uh, these days, uh, sh- shortly. Uh, Richard will fill us in on the specific uh, one is by uh, Senator Bill Nelson of Florida to revamp all of the uh, to revamp all of the uh, voting machine, the Help America Vote Act, and the uh, voting machine uh, funding and standards uh, throughout the country. So, as we all know, uh, the voting machines ever ever since the uh, 2000 non-election have been a subject of considerable controversy. The uh, Republican Congress passed the so-called Help America Vote Act, which, as usual, uh, is a uh, Trojan horse, has a nice-sounding title like No Child Left Behind or Help America Vote, um, which had a lot, of, uh, a lot of difficulties with it. One of the things that happened uh, that uh, Danny and I were very active on locally amongst uh, many other people, including Richard King, who are far more active um, in helping helping resolve this issue, was the Allegheny County Council uh, choosing uh, choosing voting machines for Allegheny County. And uh, as you all know, or at least all of you who vote, that is all of you, I hope, uh, noticed uh, noticed in the last election that we have these. Well, there's there's no other way to put it. We have these incredibly junky touch touchscreen voting machines. <laughs> I think they're called an AccuVote uh, machine, if I remember correctly. Um, there AccuPoll. Were AccuPoll. Okay. Is that uh, right? Wait, machines. no, no. Ac- no. AccuVote. No. Accu wait, something. Wait. No. We'll we'll think of it in a moment. Yeah, okay. But what they are is incredibly junky electronic touchscreen voting machines, and uh, there were a number of problems, possible problems with those machines in in Allegheny County. One of which is, I mean, some of the things are a matter of conjecture, some of them are not. Things that are absolutely not conjectural were the fact that, for example, as everyone noticed, <clears throat> the voting machines were completely out in the open and that anyone, and including especially the poll workers, were 
quite free to look over your shoulder and watch how mm-hmm. you were voting. And what was the reason for that? Well, the reason for that is because uh, they didn't want us to be tampering with the machines because they're so easily tampered with. So it's an absurd thing, a uh, tail wagging the dog situation, whereby the technology that was chosen was, is so poor that all of like the most basic premises, the most basic uh, standards of voting, uh, voting uh, poll place standards, uh, have to be eliminated. So no, no standing behind the curtain anymore because you might be tampering with the easily tamperable <laughs> voting machine. And so this is completely ridiculous. Also, people were very unhappy with the nature of the user interface. Uh, many people uh, commented, uh, for example, you may recall that uh, everything is touchscreen except for one thing, which is to register your vote. And then there's this big red flashing plastic button at the top. And it's like it's the user interface has left, right. left, left a lot to yeah, be desired. Yeah. And and they were pretty flimsy. I mean, the things were like pretty. They don't look like they're going to stand up to much. Okay, so the county council went for these things, despite the fact that Danny and I, uh, amongst and many a lot others, of other very very knowledgeable citizen activists, went testified. Not only did they go for these machines, they went for a different touchscreen machine with no paper trail. And <clears> then no when that turned trail, out right. to be a completely flaky machine that was easily hackable, even by accident almost, right. they rejected that and went to the next junky. A paper trail free uh, DRE machine. Right. So exactly. they were like determined not to use the option that had a paper trail. Which Despite was- the fact that when we went to the county council, they said all the sort of anodyne sounding things about they were completely remember DeFazio, John DeFazio, and uh, the other fellow on the uh, on the county council, uh, uh, Dave uh, Dave uh, something uh, Fawcett Fawcett, yeah. Fawcett yes. uh, were saying all the all the right things about oh we want to we definitely want uh, you know paper trail a verifiable paper trail blah 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 right, right. but then of course they turned around and bought these junky things spent millions of dollars on them well actually Fawcett was I think uh, he was consistent. Was he consistent? Okay. Yes, but the uh, uh, but everybody else. But was, the decision was. Uh, also, there was a two to, to a three member committee. <laughs> it was a decision. And it was two, 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 two to one against Fawcett. Yeah. And yeah. so we have these we have these lousy machines. There were also lots of reported problems with the machines not being zeroed out at the beginning. So obviously, when you start the machine in the morning on the election day, you would like to have all the totals be zero before anyone actually uh, comes in and votes. They had trouble with that. So lots and lots of trouble. One thing that was rather annoying, I recall, the Post-Gazette editorial page uh, was uh, promoting this idea that we should have touchscreen machines. And one of the things that I would like to, I think Richard will pick up on this as well, is the issue is not touchscreen machines. It has nothing to do with it. That is absolutely not the issue. The issue is... Uh, there are really two main issues here. One, I think, is a perfectly legitimate issue, which is accessibility of voting machines. That is, accessibility of polling places and accessibility of the voting equipment. Absolutely important thing. And the old, uh, the old standard machines were not uh, were not accessible to people who were, uh, you know, handicapped in one form or another, uh, whether they're blind or have limited yeah. vision There's or the whether they of, have difficulty walking right. around. Accessibility was a problem. So that's a legitimate thing. And then the other the other issue is uh, well, it's just audit trail, keeping having auditability. That's yeah. what's important. But somehow the post gazette turned it into that the goal the goal is to have touch screen yeah, voting right. machines. Oh, In other words, predetermining the technology to solve the problem. Yeah. And it's it completely inane. It's like yeah. absolutely inane. So the county in the end went for this. And so what's happening now, and uh, Richard will bring us up to date, what's happening now is uh, that the uh, 
the 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 Democratic Congress, which uh, has a little bit more interest in voter participation, I think, than uh, than the Republicans. Historically, that's certainly been true during my lifetime. Uh, the Republicans are great specialists in uh, in, uh, in in voter suppression, um, and uh, so what's happening here is uh, Bill Nelson of Florida, and I also think Russ Holt of uh, New Jersey right, is right. also sponsoring a bill. Uh, to redo all of this, and in particular to mandate voter verifiable paper trail. Yeah. So uh, this is the sort of the context, and I think I know that the Allegheny County Council uh, is planning to revisit the entire issue. May actually be purchasing a whole new set of machines, and the ones that we would want. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to let us say encourage our uh, our uh, representatives to do the right thing, which is to have uh, voter verifiable paper trail machines. Why voter verifiable paper trail? Well, it's just a matter of having an auditable, an audit trail, of having the ability to check the accuracy of the vote. Yeah. And uh, we all know that with electronic, uh, electronically based uh, anything, whether it's voting machines or whatever it may be, uh, there's plenty of opportunities for either malice or just uh, incompetence and ineptitude yeah. uh, to destroy uh, voting records and irretrievably and to have no no records of these 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 uh, machines that the county used in the last election, no audit trail of any kind. At the end of the day, you push the button and it tells you the answer is right, and right. there's your answer. And okay, that's it. That's so, uh, the end of the story. So, so uh, we have Richard King on the line, I believe. Richard, are you there? Hi. Uh, hi, Richard. Uh, so we're, uh, we have uh, Richard King, who has previously been on uh, Left Out before. He's a local political activist. One of his main uh, issues has been on the uh, on uh, verifiable voting equipment in the county. So, Richard, uh, while before you phoned in, I was just updating our listeners on the situation. So what I wanted to ask is, uh, at your discretion, is a few things I wanted to ask about. One is uh, the, the national story, what's happening with the Holt and or Nelson bill or any other bills that may be around. And the other is the local story is how uh, county is responding to that and what uh, we uh, listeners that left out might do to uh, make the right thing happen. Oh, well, uh, the, the place to start for me, just to give me 30 seconds of yeah, go go ahead. Take it, take is, all your take all your time you want. Is that um, uh, prior to our last election, um, the lab that certifies all of these testing labs, um, all of the all of the voting machines in the was, state, you mean of Pennsylvania? Well, the process for getting these machines certified uh, happens at the national level. There's uh-huh. this thing called a independent testing authority, which is neither independent nor really an authority, but uh, because basically the vendors created those labs, and then they receive their money from the vendors, and so are beholden to the vendors, and no machine has ever failed <laughs> a test in one of those labs. Um, and that m- may all be as it is, but those w- one of those labs, which certified 70% of the machines that people voted on in the United States in the last election, was decertified. In other words, that lab was not doing its job, and it's clear that those kinds of uh, problems were made apparent when Sarasota County lost 18,000 votes. Well, um, wait a second. So that the lab was decertified, which means that all the machines that they certified are, you know, up for have not been certified. Uh, well, right? uh, no. Apparently, it was it was uh, pro forma for the Election Assistance Commission to not tell everyone 
that they had decertified the lab at the national level. Um, and perhaps I should just step back and go through the process. The independent testing authorities have a look-see at one machine and declare that machine fit for voting. And then states may or may not have their own testing process. And here in Pennsylvania, we have a, a computer voting exam machine examiner, and he puts the machines through uh, a protocol which assesses putatively assesses whether or not those machines match up with some uh, 17 points of Pennsylvania law, uh, such as accurate, reliable, um, uh, fraud-proof, et cetera. And then uh, counties um, have the option to purchase once. In, in Pennsylvania, counties have the option to purchase based on both the federal certification and the state certification. But what we're talking about is these national lab um, was decertified because someone finally went and took a look and, at what those, that national lab was doing and said, this is just a farce. It doesn't meet with standards for um, uh, assessment of voting machines. So rather than telling everyone prior to the November election that these machines really weren't vetted properly, uh, we all voted on them. Seventy percent of the public voted on machines that were pr processed or, or examined by that lab. Then uh, during that election, Sarasota County lost some 18,000 votes, or there were undervotes of uh, remarkable proportions, and that congressional race is still in dispute, and we may not figure out whether uh, the Republican or the Democrat won that. Um, mm. And it, I don't know how familiar folks are with that particular race, but what happened was that the Democrat um, uh, had a lot of undervotes in the county in which that Democrat was strongest in that congressional race and therefore uh, likely had 18,000 votes been added back in at the rate that they were voting Democrat or Republican, that the Democrat would have taken that seat rather than the Republican. So it seems clear that some seen problems flipped a race for Congress, and yet the resolution was to simply take what the machine told folks and send that uh, representative off to Congress. So I mean, yeah. uh, Rush Holt... Uh, uh, produced a bill uh, for the last congressional session, and he reintroduced that bill again um, with a lot of modification. And uh, the bill essentially says that every electronic vote or ballot will have a paper uh, parallel ballot, um, which the voter can look at prior to casting the electronic vote. And that, that uh, paper record will then be audited uh, in some quantity, which is yet to be clearly decided. Um, but it also does a bunch of other things like establish transparency and uh, break the um, conflict of interest between the vendors and the um, ITAs. The, 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 set, the vendors of these electronic voting machines have really set the agenda for the last 30 years with electronic voting equipment. And in Pennsylvania, we've had electronic voting equipment for 20-plus years. Few people know that, but in the Philadelphia area. Um, so the vendors have been very successful in creating their lobby and connecting themselves with the secretaries of state. They fund the secretaries of state's association nationally. And, and they say they take them on cruises and all kinds of things like that, right? Train, train uh, Phoenix train trips with duck dinner and 
whatnot. Um, but re- sounds like the pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there, those are pretty pandemic with how we make laws in this country. But what we would like to focus on is how successful Holt is in specifying that uh, vendors will no longer have the option of choosing which lab will be testing. Um, their products. The uh, assignment to a testing lab will be random, and that's um, a good thing in in terms of the new legislation. Um, And in addition to that, the money will go to the EAC prior to the uh, running of the uh, examination at the federal level. Richard, let me interrupt for one second. First of all, uh, we want to give the phone number in case uh, listeners want to call in with question or comment. number is 412- Two six eight nine seven two eight, and uh, you can email to Bob at leftout.info. Um, isn't uh, the main issue though not question of improving the testing process, but improving the basic fundamental design of the system itself, such that you have a voter verified paper trail? I agree. And in fact, the to me the the idea of using the printers on the machines is really uh, the wrong a wrong headed approach. It, it, because, first of all, it's very counterintuitive to a voter. Okay, you voted on the machine, a beautiful big touchscreen machine. You make your choices. It clicks big, bright, lights up all the choices you made. You press a button to cast your vote, and then this little tiny paper comes out, and you're supposed to go through this extra step of verifying it for a normal voter. That why am I doing this? I already voted. What, what am I? What what am I doing? Even it doesn't. Plus, a lot of voters aren't going to check the thing. Plus, even re, plus that should be the record. The actual legal record of the election should be the paper trail. Now you've got these little poor, hard-to-read, uh, you know, sort of possibly jammed printers uh, with the ink that runs out or that uh, smudged or whatever, and that's the official record. So the whole thing doesn't seem very good. What's more logical to me is the is the uh, optical scan system where you actually, the voter actually marks a ballot, um, reads that into a machine at the polling place. The machine then verifies that it's a readable ballot, uh, ballot and that it's, it's valid, and then it can count it right there in that machine. But also, it ticks into a box. So later on, you've got those ballots that that uh, can be recounted. Which are the first-hand record? Which are the real mm-hmm. voters' intentions? And in addition, those ballots, those paper, optical scan paper ballots, are the easiest ballots to audit by far, and will save tremendous amounts of money. Um, even before you go to audit them, the optical scan system is less expensive. And much better in all the respects. Because you need fewer, fewer expensive machines there. You need the, the optical scan reader, and you need, but that one reader can service many voters almost simultaneously. It only takes a few seconds to stick your machine, your, your ballot into the machine and, and verify it, right? True. We're compared to having an electronic machine for each voter who might take five or ten minutes, you know, monopolizing an elect- expensive electronic piece of equipment. And then there's the issue of, uh, of uh, accessibility can be dealt with by having these machines that can print a, uh, marks on a ballot right. using a touchscreen machine or something as an input device. Right. The ballot marking device, and those clearly are necessary to meet the letter of the law requiring all voters to be able to have access to the voting machine in a private and independent fashion. Um, and clearly we could have bought those machines for our county to the tune of $12 million, and we would not have to buy any more equipment in order to meet these more stringent requirements that are being introduced, um, and, and with good reason, in the whole bill. 
So uh, the question is, what? so what is happening at the county level, and, and what is happening with Alt's bill? I don't know which is the right order to do things here. Um, if I could just uh, tick off what's into, what, what goes into the Holt bill. Um, there, uh, it requires that um, voter-verified paper ballots will be used in all voting, whether they're marked by hand or marked by machine or printed by a DRE. So it allows for the addition of these printers, even though, as Danny explained, optical scan is clearly a far superior system. Um, in addition, uh, the Holt bill will require open source software. It will require a secure chain of custody of the paper and the electronics. Um, it will require um, some form. It's implied that there's some form, form of software verification, which interestingly enough did not happen across all of Pennsylvania. No counties verified that the software that was running on their voting machines on Election Day was indeed the software which was certified at the state or at the national level. And, and in fact, uh, the heap onto that, wasn't it you who noticed that they were running uh, that they were running PC Remote or PC Anywhere, one of those things on these voting machines? True. Yeah. True. Um, so uh, also the whole bill requires that papers uh, not be, that whatever the ballot is printed on is not a thermal um, paper. In other words, it's, it's not the kind of cash register receipt printing that you see. Uh, it's, it has to be archival quality, and many feel that this is the, the uh, item in the bill which is going to prevent the printers from being added on. Um, emergency paper ballots have to be in every precinct. Now, if this is true, then why would anybody in their right mind want to have an electronic voting machine in their, you know, a, a DRE. Only, only if you invest in such companies. Well, yeah, it, basically, they're saying you have to have two vote, different types of voting systems in every precinct. You have to have paper ballots so people can vote by optical scan, as well as, you know, it, it's. This is the way, this is the way to go. Right, so, so, Richard, uh, go oh God, uh, if I may interrupt, we have a caller on the line. If I may take Fred on the phone has a discussion point about verification. Fred? Oh yeah. Oh, go ahead. Thanks for calling. Left out. Hi. How you doing? Okay, um, you're talking about uh, the printers that are attached to the electronic voting machines. Right, um, or lack thereof. Oh, yeah, well, um, we're talking so about the, the concept of actually having something like them there. Oh, wait, wait a second. Uh, do both be oh. all talking at once. <coughs> Fred, 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 go ahead and ask your question quickly, and then we'll let uh, Richard respond. Oh, sure, I'm sorry. I, I can only hear one person there. Okay. Um, well, what I was going to get to was that even if the printers are there, I, I do programming, so I have an idea about this. Okay. I can can spit out a paper that says anything, and if I'm intentionally or unintentionally trying to uh, adjust a vote, it's not hard to spit out a piece of paper that says that somebody voted for Republican when they voted for a Democrat or whatever else I care to say they voted for. So the, the, the electronic piece of paper, you know, sorry, the piece of paper doesn't necessarily correspond to what was electronically recorded. Right. If, if well, we can, we can respond to that, I think. system that are consistent with what the voter wanted to do. Okay. Thanks Thanks for that point. I think uh, Danny would like to respond. Well, let me just respond, and then Richard can – I'm not sure Richard heard the question, but um, – well, if you know, what's supposed to happen is that you make your choices, and then you, you get this printout, um, and you look at it, and you say, well, this if this did reflect my choices, then I'm going to press a button that says accept the whole thing. But if you use a mark send system, there's no issue of a printer involved at all. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. But but so you have to go through this weird step where you check the validity of the printed paper. If it doesn't equal your vote, right? 
then you have to reject the whole thing and you start over again. Right. So this is the so caller's point uh, that people aren't going to really look at it. Yes, and so that so if they if 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 only a few percent looked at it, then you're not really gaining that very, much. Very much. Yeah. In the whole process, plus it's cumbersome to force people to look at the whole thing. Fred, are you still there? Yeah, my my point uh, my partially covers that, but my other point is um, if the printer spits out a piece of paper which looks like the voter's intention. That doesn't mean when the voter hits that button to say record the vote that it, the electronics don't change it. Oh, of course, but th- that doesn't matter because because the, the official record of the election is the printed paper. That's what we're, that's what we're saying. That the official record. And then then what right. will happen is there'll be processes by which you'll do random sampling. You'll do a recount of a random s- a subset of the precincts, and um, if you, know, you get two, two different a value, then you have to recount the entire election and use the actual paper trail for that. But but also I would say just to repeat a point earlier, Fred, is that uh, I, my personal opinion is that we should not even have a printer at all, but rather use with a uh, use a mark sense voting system so that the record is a first hand record that is produced by the voter. And you don't have to deal with this weird process. Then of you don't have to deal with that weird that you've already I wouldn't argue with that whatsoever. But you're talking about doing the random sampling, and if if I'm going to attempt to adjust a vote, if I if I adjust one percent or two percent. Of the votes, okay. If I'm doing the programming for the electronic systems, okay. Yeah, then you'd but, say it's difficult to detect. And and let's say that I want to make the Republicans win more often. I can adjust the electronic votes by one or two percent, and if it's consistent, it'll probably never be caught. Well, that, but no, uh, no, no. The units of sample we have are small. Yeah, well, let's let's let Richard respond. Richard, uh, let's, let's let's let Richard King jump in. The, the units of sampling are the precincts, and so they have to match perfectly. And so if there is any shift of 1% within a precinct, they'll arrive at a discrepancy, or, you know, the theory goes that they would be able to count all of the ballots accurately and compare with the electronic vote within a precinct. And it's so those, those, those units across the state um, should be able to tell a tale. So that's, I think, a good... Go ahead, Fred. Uh, again... Even with a paper trail, how many precincts are doing 100% recounts? Well, all, all of the it. precincts in the audit would be doing 100% recount. Right, but, right. Uh, he, he, but he means by 100%, he means you wouldn't necessarily have all precincts doing a recount. So it would be very, unless it were, you know, that there were evidence of a discrepancy. Well, there's a county here in Pennsylvania uh, for their, I should say, a district here in Pennsylvania for this last election where the representative won by, I think, 26 votes. Right. Okay. My, if I if I'm adjusting, if I want to adjust an election, it doesn't have to be one percent. It could be a tenth of a percent. And current four electronic systems, two two to four percent variation from count to count is not an unheard of percentage. So so do you so do you have a suggestion as to what to do about this? Yeah, I like you like you've already suggested the optical character readers are the optical readers are the only system where you have a piece of paper that the uh, yeah, something that the voter has actually made the vote with, you can go back and actually physically count because you know that's what the voter did. Okay, well, Thanks. of course, you still have the issues of having them disappear and stuff like that. Right, there's always, there's always going to be things to guard against for sure. Okay, thank you for that point, Fred, and thank you for calling Left Out. Uh, we'd like to go back to Richard King now. I do have one little comment to make about that, is that if you're going to ba- the optical scan system, if you're going to use the counter inside the scanner, yeah. then you are still sub- subject to the kind of thing that Fred is talking oh, about. Oh, you are, yeah. yeah. So, so, but you do have a very solid record that you can use back it up. 
Yeah, exactly. You have a solid record. You can go back and you can say, does this really, really match? Because the voter verifiable stuff doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Yes, thank you. So that's, okay. a, that's a very good point. And I, I think w- another point that I would make, which is related to one that Richard may want to pick up on in Russ Holt's bill, of having open source software. In fact, I would say, uh, I would say that the, um, my opinion about all of this is uh, something I've expressed and left out before, is we really should, this is, a, this is a, a, a situation where we should be dealing with this in a national level, what really should be happening is there should be a panel of experts assembled by the National Academy of Sciences, the National Academy of Engineering, bringing the best minds in the country to put together a public, open design that is used nationwide that, you know, people can manufacture, anyone can manufacture them, but the specification, the software, should be completely open, should right. be completely a matter of public property, and should not be at all a private matter. Right. And I believe some countries are actually um, engaging in such a, such a project. Australia. Uh, go ahead, please, Richard. Want uh, to jump Australia in on that? has yeah. open source software, and they've had it for 20 years or something like that. I, I don't understand why we don't just simply take their software and make it available in the United States. <laughs> because there are interests at stake other than counting the votes, Richard. Uh, let me spell it out to you. So uh, I wonder, so picking up uh, back where we left off before uh, Fred called in, the interesting point uh, that he had, and other listeners, by the way, are welcome to call us at 412-268-9728, or if you're a bit shy about the phone, you can call send mail to Bob at leftout.info, and I'll translate, transmit your call on the air uh, as I get it in an email. So, Richard, uh, go ahead. So I was oh. wondering uh, if you'd pick up where you were left off well, earlier. You had mentioned open source software, mm-hmm. and uh, basically that's the concept of transparency, and what's in this bill is that now the independent testing authorities are going to be entirely transparent, at least to the EAC. There will be an observer assigned. And what I, um, there will be uh, uh, a transparency involved in the state audit boards. Um, there's, all of the audits that are done under the, the state um, supervision should be uh, accompanied by public observation. Um, this bill creates an audit board, and it creates a very powerful position, the anchor of integrity in the state. And this is very interesting. Is not is will no longer be underneath the secretary of the Commonwealth. It will be under the auditor general, which is an elected position. And Jack Wagner, who will be running for governor, I believe. I don't know for sure, but that's what the rumors are. Um, uh, in a, in two years, he's going to be not two years, four years. Will be running for governor. And uh, interestingly enough, he's also going to be uh, uh, assigned the um, the position of the uh, top official in the state for to to cover the audits. Um, the EAC uh, will be funded in perpetu- perpetuity. 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 <laughs> I don't think I'm saying it right, but it, uh, the EAC was to sunset, and this bill will. Um, uh, place it under uh, uh, refunding on a, on a cyclic basis um, forever, um, which some folks are not happy with mm. because the EAC is, uh, you know, there's been two chairs that resigned and, um, of the EAC, and it's been basically a political football when the National Institute of Standards suggested to the EAC that what they really need to do is have software-independent voting systems, and the EAC said, well, yes, but... We're not going to do that right away, um, which is, you know, basically they bent to the vendor's wishes and to the uh, election director's wishes. And, 
Um, so Shameful. apart from uh, the audit process um, that goes on in each state, uh, that's pretty much the sum of the, of the bill. Um, there was also a provision, if I may throw it in there, um, in, in addition to voting machine, was to prevent, <laughs> uh, to outlaw conflicts of interest amongst uh, the uh, voting officials in states, uh, for example, being like Catherine Harris, who is serving as the Republican uh, chairman in Florida while also being in charge of the election. is outrageous, outrageous criminality there, in my opinion. I believe that's for the auditors, um, but it doesn't remove the... Uh, I, I will have to go back to the bill. But um, I did not see that that was in there. Uh, okay, let it. me find it. I have an article in front of me. Uh, it says it bans conflicts of interest on the parts of elections of election officials. So okay. uh, can, can anyway, we pop back it. to the very anyway, going highest back, level yes, of, of this whole discussion of now? I'm going to try to pop back to the okay. big picture here. Um, and what's happening locally? Oh, oh. Yes. So there was a. Uh, well, I have a. Go I want to comment on a letter that, that appeared in today's uh, Post Gazette. Is that all right, uh, sure, Richard? Sure, sure. Stephanie, Stephanie Singer? Yeah, Stephanie Singer, um, who's been uh, studying these issues um, uh, uh, for a while. She's a Philadelphia mathematician who's worked, uh, again, for verifiable voting. And um, she was uh, she wrote a, a, a very eloquent letter today, quite critical of uh, Dr. Michael Seamus, who's one of our colleagues here at, at Carnegie Mellon, um, who had, had been, was quoted uh, in an article in the Post-Gazette um, Complaining about the the whole field of, of the, you know the scientists who are working in this and saying that they're not presenting scientific evidence that uh, they're not playing impartial roles as academics and Stephanie Singer was very critical of, of Michael Seamus who seems to wield a tremendous amount of power in these these circles in Pennsylvania especially and maybe in fact even on a national level so um, I don't know if you have any comments on that Richard or uh, I thought I was expecting you to read the read the letter. Um, I'll read the I, whole I said, letter. Well, well yeah, I could. There's, there's one kernel here, which is really. I'll put a link to. I'll put on, a link to the letter on our web on our web page. So. Uh, the allegation was that the activists are, the academics, who are active, uh, insisting upon verification of their vote, um, are taking a very unscientific approach, and uh, my clearest, truest read of this situation is that what is unscientific, is. Uh, voting without ever observing that your vote was recorded. I mean, in the scientific method, that is one of the cornerstones, is observation. <laughs> and this, these are black boxes, um, and hence the name, you know, black box voting. Um, individual voters are not observing what's going on, and election officials are not observing what's going on. And so in terms of the scientific method, uh, we're not voting scientifically at all, um, and that—that that I think is the essence of what um, uh, Stephanie's letter says: is that uh, uh, indeed the activists are taking the scientific approach. And moreover, she accuses uh, she accuses Shabas of uh, hypocrisy because of his—he's criticizing uh, people uh, like us, for example, who are agitating for voter verifiable paper trail uh, as being, you know. Politically motivated, yeah. When he is absolutely himself, uh, shamelessly politically motivated, if you ask me. So two months ago, I was extremely hopeful that this money would be coming from the federal level, and that our county would not have to uh, really pay a, a, a painful price to replace these machines, which are clearly not acceptable as they stand. 
Um, and there's really two different approaches to this. One is uh, in, in terms of why these machines need to go. One is that voters do not see a permanent record of their vote. Um, and two is that uh, uh, voters who don't have the use of their hands still cannot vote independently um, and privately. And so uh, the interesting thing here is that these optical scan machines do it right. Why is it that the optical scan machines do it all and they do it all right, and these DREs don't? But to, to meet the uh, Holt bill, uh, we would have to replace these machines um, with uh, uh, optical scan machines in order to, to do this by 2008. The Holt bill... Um, probably will be implemented sometime in the next six months. I mean, that's the general expectation, um, that it will pass within six months. And the hope is that it will target the 2008 election um, in time for the presidential election in November. Um, and our Will Bush sign the bill? I don't know. I think, he, I think that it would be extremely unpopular for him not to. There's yeah, not a large yeah, he might be under pressure. Yeah. Yeah, but who knows? And so, what is happening locally before uh, we uh, finish right. up? So, uh, locally, what yeah. we what we were hoping was our county would say yes. If if you give us if you get us the money, we'll swap out and get the right machines. But there's only three hundred million dollars in the in the rush hold bill, and uh, we need in order to replace all of the DREs that are paperless at the moment or printerless at the moment, it's going to require five hundred and ten million dollars, and. Um, Maybe maybe I simply don't know how legislation is done because often unfu unfunded mandates do become law and they do sort of eventually uh, get implemented appropriately. But um, what we're hoping to do is get a howling from across the state for increasing the funding so that the counties and the, the, and the states that want to replace these DREs can do so. Okay, uh, so uh, and and uh, anything that our listeners should uh, oh. do or know about at the moment? Uh, well, they can always call county council. Uh, okay. Allegheny County Council is uh, three five four one two three five zero six four nine zero and ask for optical scan voting. Um, any highly motivated individuals could also submit their resumes to county council, which is now forming a citizens advisory panel. Um, and they're looking for citizens from across the county who take a strong interest in the integrity of voting to submit their resumes and uh, participate in advising county council and our esteemed chief executive, Dan Honorado. What was that number again? 412-350-6490. Uh, oh, or go to voteallegheny.org. Uh, and come to our weekly meetings so that you can help us uh, change the world of electronic voting in, in Pennsylvania. Okay, we'll put up a link to that information on our webpage. Okie doke. Thank you so much, Thank you very much, much Richard guys. King, for calling in. Uh, thank you very much for your hard work on this issue over the years and continuing uh, now and, and going forward. And I uh, wish you luck and all the best in, uh, in your efforts. Thank you so much. Thanks Bye -bye. for being on Left Out. Okay, we will take a brief break. Uh, what we would like to do is uh, we're going to play a bit of uh, an audio segment of Keith Olbermann's uh, most recent uh, commentary about uh, the statements made by uh, Condoleezza Rice, our Secretary of State. 
finally, as promised, a special comments on the remarks yesterday by Secretary of State Rice. We already know about her suggestion that the president could just ignore whatever congressional Democrats do about Iraq, just ignore Congress. We know how that game always turns out. Ask President Nixon. Ask President Andrew Johnson. But about what the secretary said regarding the prospect of Congress revising or repealing the 2002 authorization of the war in Iraq. And here we go again. From springs spent trying to link Saddam Hussein to 9-11 to summers of cynically manipulated intelligence through autumns of false patriotism to winters of war, we have had more than four years of every cheap trick and every degree of calculated cynicism from an administration filled with three-card Monty players. But the longer Dr. Rice and these other pickpockets of a nation's goodness have walked among us, waving flags and slandering opponents and making true enemies, foreign and domestic, all hat and no cattle all the while, the overriding truth of their occupancy of our highest offices of state has only gradually become clear. As they asked once in that Avis commercial, ever get the feeling some people just stop trying? Secretary Rumsfeld thought he could equate those who doubted him with Nazi appeasers, without reminding everybody that the actual historical Nazi appeasers in this country in the 1930s were the Republicans. Vice President Cheney thought he could talk as if he and he alone knew the truth about Iraq and 9-11 without anyone ever noticing that even the rest of the administration officially disagreed with him. The president really acted as if you could scare all the people all the time and not lose your soul and your congressional majority as a result. But Secretary of State Rice may have now taken the cake. On the Sunday morning interview show of Broken Record on Fox, Dr. Rice spoke a paragraph which, if it had been included in a remedial history paper at the weakest high school in the nation, would have gotten the writer an F, maybe an expulsion. If Congress were now to revise the Iraq authorization, she said, out loud, with an adult present, quote, it would be say, like saying that after Adolf Hitler was overthrown, we needed to change then the resolution that allowed the United States to do that so that we could deal with creating a stable environment in Europe after he was overthrown. The secretary's resume reads that she has a master's degree and a Ph.D. in political science. The interviewer should have demanded to see them on the spot. Dr. Rice spoke 42 words. She may have made more mistakes in them than did the president in his State of the Union address in 2003. There is obviously no mistaking Saddam Hussein for a human being, but nor is there any mistaking him for Adolf Hitler. Invoking the German dictator who subjugated Europe, who tried to exterminate the Jews, who sought to overtake the world is not just in the poorest of taste, but in its hyperbole, it insults not merely the victims of the Third Reich, but also those in this country who fought it and who defeated it. Saddam Hussein was not Adolf Hitler, and George W. Bush is not Franklin D. Roosevelt, nor Dwight D. Eisenhower. He isn't even George H. W. Bush, who fought in that war. However, even through the clouds of deliberately spread fear and even under the weight of a thousand exaggerations of the five years past, one can just barely make out how a battle against international terrorism in 2007 could be compared by some to the Second World War. The analogy is weak. It instantly begs the question of why those of the greatest generation focused on Hitler and Hirohito, but our leaders of today seem to have ignored their vague parallels of today to instead concentrate on the Mussolini's of modern terrorism. But in some small, you didn't fail, Junior, but you may need to go to summer school kind of way, you can just make out that comparison. But Secretary Rice, overthrowing Saddam Hussein was akin to overthrowing Adolf Hitler? Are you kidding? Did you want to provoke the world's laughter? 
And please, Madam Secretary, if you are going to make that most implausible, dubious, subjective, ridiculous comparison, if you want to be as far off the mark about the Second World War as, say, this pathetic Holocaust denier from Iran, Ahmadinejad, at least get the easily verifiable facts right, the facts whose home through history lie in your own department. The resolution that allowed the United States to overthrow Hitler on the 11th of December 1941, at 8 o'clock in the morning, two of Hitler's diplomats walked up to the State Department, your office, Secretary Rice, and 90 minutes later they were handing a declaration of war to the chief of the department's European division. The Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor four days earlier, and the Germans simply piled on. Your predecessors, Dr. Rice, did not spend a year making up phony evidence and mistaking German balloon inflating trucks for mobile germ warfare labs. They didn't pretend the world was ending because a tin-pot tyrant could not hand over the chemical weapons it turned out he had destroyed a decade earlier. The Germans walked up to the front door of our State Department and said, we're at war. It was in all the papers. And when that war ended, more than three horrible years later, our troops and the Russian troops were in Berlin, and we stayed as an occupying force well into the 1950s. As an occupying force, Madam Secretary, if you want to compare what we did to Hitler and in Germany to what we did to Saddam and in Iraq, I'm afraid you're going to have to buy the whole analogy. We were an occupying force in Germany, Dr. Rice, and by your logic, we are now an occupying force in Iraq. And if that's the way you see it, you damn well better come out and tell the American people so. Save your breath telling it to the Iraqis. Most of them already buy that part of the comparison. It would be like saying that after Adolf Hitler was overthrown, we needed to change then the resolution that allowed the United States to do that so that we could deal with creating a stable environment in Europe after he was overthrown. We already have a subjectively false comparison between Hitler and Saddam. We already have a historically false comparison between Germany and Iraq. We already have blissful ignorance by our Secretary of State about how this country got into the war against Hitler. But then there's this part about changing the resolution about Iraq, that it would be as ridiculous in this secretary's eyes as saying that after Hitler was defeated, we needed to go back to Congress to deal with creating a stable environment in Europe after he was overthrown. Oh, good grief, Secretary Rice, that's exactly what we did do. We went back to Congress with, to deal with creating a stable environment in Europe after Hitler was overthrown. It was called the Marshall Plan. Marshall. General George Catlett Marshall. Secretary of State, the job you have now, come on! $12,400,000 to stabilize all of Europe economically to keep the next enemies of freedom, the Russians, out and democracy in? And how do you suppose that happened? The President of the United States went back to Congress and asked it for a new authorization and for the money. And do you have any idea, Madam Secretary, who opposed him when he did that? The Republicans! We've spent enough money in Europe, said Senator Taft of Ohio. We've spent enough of our resources, said former President Hoover. It's time to pull out of there. As they stand up, we'll stand down. This administration has long thought otherwise, but you cannot cherry-pick life, whether life in 2007 or life in the history page marked 1945. You can't keep the facts that fit your prejudices and throw out the ones that destroy your theories. If you're going to try to do that, if you still want to fool some people into thinking that Saddam was Hitler and once we gave FDR that blank check in Germany, he was no longer subject to the laws of Congress or gravity or physics, at least stop humiliating us. Get your facts straight. Use 
the Google. You've been on Fox News Sunday, Secretary Rice. That network now has got another show premiering tomorrow night. You could go on that one, too. It might be a better fit. It's called, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? That's Countdown. I'm Keith Olbermann. Good night and good luck. Oaths to the Iraqi people, oaths to the region, and oaths to ourselves so that our own security is there. It, it's, Chris, it would be like saying that after Adolf Hitler was overthrown, uh, we needed to change then uh, the resolution that allowed the United States to do that so that we could deal with creating a stable environment in Europe after he was overthrown. It's a part of a continuum of what we're trying to do uh, in Iraq. Well, there, uh, there we had a brief uh, uh, snippet of uh, of uh, Condoleezza Rice, our uh, our uh, our Esteemed estimable Secretary, uh, of Secretary of State, uh, just to throw in there, just to uh, just to uh, underline the accuracy, the incisive accuracy and wit of Keith Olbermann, the indispensable Keith Olbermann, taking her down for her preposterous statements. The thing that is always uh, is always uh, about this administration, Condoleezza Rice or the rest of the mm -hmm. Bush administration, is always a matter of some speculation is, are they just, are they monumentally incompetent and idiotic, or are they just... Or are they or just, just cynically manipulating, yeah. manipulating people's ignorance, right? The national ignorance, so they can just say these. She has these random supercilious comments because she has only one mode of speaking, which is yeah. supercilious, and she has these. And they're just and, random. And there's noise. no it's accountability at all. Is she going like to respond to this? I mean, it's, it's so here, here we are. You know, this is who's running our foreign policy, and she's the same one. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at it by comparison, well, she was, you know, I'm, I'm, since since I, uh, you know, I, I went to Stanford myself for my PhD, and she was she a, was the provost. She was the provost of Stanford, which is you know the second highest uh, uh, administrative position in the university. And uh, if she was um, at operating at this level of competence there, she would, you know, it's it's it, that's shameful in itself. Incredible. So I, I don't know whether whether she was or what, what, running our foreign policy. Yeah, Un unbelievable. So uh, anyway, uh, we'll uh, we'll put a link to that if you haven't heard it uh, haven't heard it uh, previously or in general uh, Keith Olbermann's uh, special comments on MSNBC are really in, uh, really indispensable as the only person on national of that kind of scale of, uh, yeah uh, that number uh, number of viewers number of listeners who are uh, saying the kinds of things that need to be said and pointing out the blindingly obvious uh, uh, criticisms of uh, statements like we get from. Uh, to borrow a phrase from John McIntyre, formerly in KDKA here, uh, the gap-toothed goober Cond Condoleezza Rice. So I wanted to point out a few other uh, foreign policy issues that uh, would might be of interest to our listeners. Well, we have just five minutes oh, left. Five uh, minutes remaining. Do, should we want to announce the number for people to call in, or is it too Go late for Go for it, that? Danny. You know what it is. 412-268-9728. Uh, uh, if you wish to call in, and you can also send mail to bob at leftout.info. So an interesting article in uh, the Independent, no, excuse me, the Times of London uh, last weekend, uh, February 25th, I guess, I think that was Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, two days ago, um, with, by Michael Smith and Sarah Baxter reporting uh, the, that uh, this is, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Times is a uh, politically conservative newspaper. It's not the most conservative newspaper in Britain. That would be the Telegraph or amongst the tabloids, the, Mur the various Murdoch rags. But amongst the respectable papers, uh, the Telegraph would be the most right-wing. Uh, the second would be the Times, just as a matter of uh, calibration. So they're reporting that uh, at least five United States generals 
are uh, prepared to quit, uh, generals and admirals, it says here, who would resign if Bush ordered an attack on, uh, on Iran. So uh, this is uh, something I've commented on very often. One of the greatest things about the United States, in my opinion, is that our public officials and our military, our soldiers, are all sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. So let me point out, our military officials are not sworn to obey uh, the decider or the thinker-upper or whatever he calls himself this week. Yeah. They're sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the question that has always come to my mind is, when push comes to shove with these clowns, will our military uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, yeah. or will they obey orders? Well, I think and that's... so. There's a there's a threat here reported in the Times that uh, high-ranking military officials may actually resign uh, if there's a provocation uh, to war in, in Iran. Go ahead. Dan. Well, they've had a lot of time to think about this and and and, and sort of pondered this whole thing um, and seen what results of Bush's policies so far. Um, so uh, it's not so they've had time to think about it. And the other thing that strikes me. Um, in terms of fomenting it, it seems like the generals would have a lot better sort of constitutional or legal basis on which to d- disobey orders if Congress stepped in and actually laid down a clear statement that, you know, the U.S. will not attack Iran unless certain conditions hold. And we will, the Congress does well, not approve. And certainly withdraw this, you know, blanket authorization the blanket for use of military force. And it's not going back in time. It's not, it's not, it's, yeah. it's saying, okay, from now on, this is no longer this the fact. Be the so policy. it's a completely legal, appropriate thing for the Congress to do. And it seems like that would strengthen any constitutional position any general might make, any argument they might make to say, you know, to we're not doing it because this is, this is a blatantly unconstitutional. Let's certainly hope that that's the case. Now, if you don't believe that an attack on Iran is a possibility uh, or that we're ginning up uh, uh, causes belli and war uh, in, in, in Iran, uh, there's an article in the current issue of The New Yorker by Seymour Hirsch. It's well known for having uh, inside, uh, inside uh, information on uh, lots of matters of national and foreign policy. Uh, it's written an article uh, called, uh, the title is called The Redirection, which is about the redirection of our policies in, in Iraq and Iran, and a particular uh, plan, specific plans to, to uh, uh, have a, an airstrike on Iran, and a particular uh, an Iran-Contra-style uh, illegal re-channeling of, other- uh, re- re-channeling of funds that have been appropriated for, for example, the, Iraq, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, being used, in fact, illegally to uh, foment war in Iran. In particular, uh, funding, it seems, uh, funding Sunni, Sunni sources. One, one, uh, one part of the trail here leads to we're funding uh, Sunni insurgency that is attacking the U.S. military, amongst other reasons, uh, amongst other mm-hmm. things. And so we're getting into this Iran-Contra-style absurdities that only the Republicans uh, could possibly mm-hmm. uh, consider. And the Republican neocons that we have in power at the moment, and I think we should pay. I urge our listeners to pay attention to this. Check out Cy Hirsch's article. We'll link to this on the Left Out uh, Info webpage, and also this article in the Independent about uh, the the somewhat heartening possibility that there will be true opposition from the military to this outrageous adventurism by our uh, unelected leaders in Washington, uh, who are uh, who are running this uh, horror show. Well, we're just uh, out of time then uh, for this week's edition of Left Out. Thank you all for listening. Thanks again to Richard King for uh, being on today's program. Thanks to DJ Hank, producer Hank, for producing today's show, and we will be back in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening.